This is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our 30th episode. On this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on online. If you have a question about your yoga practice or a suggestion for a guest, please email me at rebecca at homebodiesyoga.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at homebodiesyogapodcast. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And I really hate to ask you for any favors, but I would love it, really love it, if you would rate and review. I know I just said that, but extra, extra, if you could rate and review, it would be very, very helpful for people to find the show, especially on Apple Podcasts. That's like the big one. So if you haven't done it yet or you want to do it again, I would really appreciate it. Okay, done asking you for thanks. Thank goodness. I hate that part. Um, so I wanted to talk today about this article I read in the New York Times a few weeks ago that I've been thinking about a lot. It's called Your Workout Burns Less Calories Than You Think. And basically it talks about how, you know, I, I think common knowledge when I was a kid and even up through basically now is like bodies work, calories in, calories out. Like you burn a certain amount of calories on the spin bike, you eat a certain amount of food and like at the end the math works out so you either lose weight, gain weight or stay the same. Basically, this article saying uh, it's much more complex than that, which I think many of us have, have suspected, but it's absolutely true, um, where it, it kind of started in 2012 when scientists did this study of hunter-gatherers in Africa and compla- compared them to office workers in the Western world. I, I'm not sure. It might have been in Europe or in the U.S. Anyway, so in this study, they figured out that hunter-gatherers, even though they're much more physical, burn the, about the same amount of calories as people who work in an office, which just makes no sense. So they were like, hmm, that's interesting. Like, things are a little more complicated than we think. And then they just came out, scientists just came out with a huge study, which apparently they use the gold standard of studying metabolic health, where they have people drink this, like, magic water, and the water... <laughs> I don't, I don't know how it works, so I'm not even going to pretend to. But this magic water tells scientists how many calories you burn throughout the day. And basically what scientists found is that if you burn 100 calories in your workout, let's just say 100 because it makes it easy, throughout the day your body will compensate for at least 30% of those calories. So if you work out for 100 calories, you know, 100 calories worth, you're actually only going to keep the you know burn off 70 calories and scientists actually have no idea how your body does this or why i mean i think why this assumption would be like survival right your body gets used to the demand you put on it and tries to work to um stay alive through that demand right which would kind of make sense from that study in 2012 of hunter gatherers but they don't know how your body does it and they really don't even understand anything about it which is I find really interesting that bodies can still stump, you know, science, which of course they can, of course they can, but it's just really interesting. Um, so basically they, they speculate that it could be that your body, um, let's see, I'm going to read this part. Um, your body could cut down on immune system operations, like kind of slow them down a little, which apparently require a lot of considerable energy or they could unknown people unknowingly might just fidget less when they are when they exercise more or otherwise just you know grow more sedentary 
overall on days we exercise, perhaps too some of the inner workings of our cells may slow, reducing our body's overall energy expenditure. So like basically your body like learns how to slow down in response to the demand you put on it, which is so cool that bodies like learn about what you need and try to give it to you. I mean, of course, like that's not true nowadays. Like when we exercise, what we want is for our bodies to expend energy, <laughs> but really your body is just trying to help, right? It's so cool. Uh, but I've been thinking about this a lot because, you know, I've kind of been on this journey of, you know, trying to move intuitively and eat intuitively and stop obsessing about the way my body looks and weight, just because it's just like not interesting and I'm just sick of it. And I know it's not healthy uh, for me mentally, emotionally, or honestly, physically either. Um, so I've been, you know, working on that. But there is always that voice in the back of my mind, right? Like the same, you know, I was raised in the 90s. I was a teenager in the aughts. Like, you know, it was like snack well cookies in my lunchbox. When I got to high school, it was, you know, that, remember that like dirty Christina Aguilera video where her pants are like right like below her hip bones with like the flattest stomach ever, you know, and like Britney Spears, I'm a slave for you. We, we could really go deep into it, but I don't think we have to. I think you know what I mean. Uh, but anyway, so like I always have that in my head as like what I should look like, which is absurd because I'm a 35 year old woman who is not being paid to have a flat stomach. So of course, anyway, if you do, that's great. But like, you know, like I just, it's just absurd to, for me to try to accomplish that at this point in my life or any point I suppose anyway I'm see it's hard to, it's so hard to talk about bodies isn't it and like the way we feel about it um, I'm getting all turned around anyway so I always have this voice in my head you know that voice is that's like oh you should just like lose five more pounds or like oh you'd be better if or you should do this instead so like even in my physical movement practice you know there'll be days where what I feel like doing is a nice slow yoga practice but you know that voice inside my head is like you should really do a HIIT workout. Or there's days instead of running, I feel like walking. But there's that voice in my head that's like, oh, you haven't run all week. But actually, that doesn't even matter. Like even if my goal was weight loss, exercise itself doesn't even matter. <laughs> Isn't that bonkers? So like, I mean, I just think about me like torturing myself in the 20s, in my 20s at the gym, and it didn't even matter either way. And of course, there is like a psychological and definitely dopamine or you know endorphins from exercise so like there's a reason exercise like i need to exercise for my mental health and i also think there are other reasons like i i like to do weight bearing exercise now that i'm getting older because i know it's important for bone density for women for example and like you know cardiovascular is good for your heart but like it's just so funny that like all those times you were in a class at the gym and they were like, do this for that margarita or do this so you can have dessert this weekend. And actually like, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious really like the irony. Um, anyway, I just thought it was really interesting. And I thought that like, maybe you would too. There was another article actually the next week in the times. Um, and I'll put this in the show notes too. I forget the name of it and I'm not prepared with it. So I apologize, but it basically talked about how um, weight is, weight loss actually doesn't improve health in like all of the ways you think it would like cardiovascularly or uh, even people who are like pre-diabetic and all of that so like when people are doing diet alone to lose weight it actually doesn't help their health if they're even if they're overweight what helps health the most is having a movement practice so like movement is important but like it doesn't really matter what it is and it 
doesn't, and, it, and you know, like doing it for weight loss sort of doesn't make sense. Isn't that crazy? I don't know. I just think it's kind of cool. Uh, so I, I feel like it's been like sort of freeing for me in my practice, honestly. And it has helped me listen to my body as sad as that is that like, of course it takes like learning that it doesn't matter anyway for me to actually listen to my body. But it's interesting. Like it's kind of cool too. On days where you're like, no, I do feel like going on for a run or on days where you're like, no, I do feel like doing this like cardio dance class or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I find it all really, really interesting and cool. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm going to talk about today. But it's kind of funny because my guest on the show today is Robin Wilner, who is a holistic nutritionist, but she really has an eye more on eating and treating your body in a way that you feel really good rather than uh, worrying about so much how you look or what size pants you are. Although I will say um, she is glowing. So I would follow her advice. I mean, it seems like the goodness just, uh, seeps right out when you take care of yourself the way that Robin does and the way that Robin teaches her clients too. Uh, and she's a yoga instructor too, which is actually how I met her. We used to teach at the same studio, but she, uh, has a master of science in holistic nutrition with six years of coaching clients. And she's also a registered E- RYT 500 hour yoga instructor. She's been teaching for more than 11 years. So uh, she's really experienced and she's really good to talk to. We talked a lot about her yoga practice through her life as a dancer on Broadway, as a going through her divorce and now uh, in a new relationship and just how her yoga practice has changed and evolved and how she has kept it going. Um, yeah, I had a really good time talking to her. She's just really open and really vivacious and really uh, just fun. It was a really fun interview. She's just a great person to talk to. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. Uh, and I also really recommend checking out her website, robinwilner.com. We talk a little bit about the end of the, we talk a little bit about it at the end of her podcast, but she does nutrition consults and she also has some yoga classes on there. And if you're lucky enough to be living in Napa, you could attend her class. So without further ado, here is Robin. Welcome, Robin. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. I'm happy to be here. Sure. Um, we were just talking off air, and you have been going through so many changes. You're living in Napa, but teaching in the Bay Area. You're um, holistic nutritionist, certified yoga instructor. So I just want to know, what is your yoga practice like right now? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a really great question because as you mentioned, there's been a lot of change for me. So happily, I can say that I'm back in a yoga studio, which is something that I wasn't able to say for about a year and a half. So I try whenever I can to get to the studio in the mornings. And that's actually something I just did this morning before coming to chat with you. And I find that getting myself there is important because I get to be around other people and feel the energy of other humans. But something that we were just talking about is this idea of how do we keep up the practice when I'm not able to go into the studio because it's not always available to me. So for instance, yesterday, I didn't actually have time to physically practice yoga. And there's this stigma, I think, around yoga teachers that we wake up every day at 6 a.m. and we get down on our mat and, you know, we're in meditation for an hour and then, you know, whatever commences after that. And that's actually not what it looks like for me. I was really practicing my yoga, I would say, 
during a big walk that I took um, after I was uh, I started my workday and I was able to exercise on my bike that I have here at home, which is also, I think, very meditative for me. And then I just needed to walk. And I realized that it's not asana that I actually needed yesterday so much as it was just walking and being with myself and being with my breath. And I'm so lucky that I live in Napa and there's this beautiful scenery around me. And I found myself just looking at whatever it was that I was passing, even for the 20 minutes that I was able to walk. And um, that's sometimes what what the day looks like in terms of being able to practice. And I actually taught yesterday as well, but teaching is so different than my own personal practice. So that's what yesterday looked like, for example. Oh my gosh, I find that true too. The busier the day is, the harder it is for me to get on my mat. I feel like if my head is all scattered and then I go try to practice, it's like, forget it. Like I can't focus. And a walk is like, I ask less, I feel like. Yes, yes. Yeah, I've actually had some really interesting conversations with students and friends about what it's like now for a lot of us who work from home, which I do, and as well as working outside of home sometimes in the studio or um, you know, going to people people's homes or workplaces. But being at home for so long when everything that you do is at home, it's you eat, you sleep, you uh, you're now working, you're now exercising you're trying to spend time with your family or whomever you might live with or your pet or whatever it is. It's like everything that we do is at home. So sometimes the last thing that I want to do is roll out my mat when I do all those other things at home. And I think what's been really important and really special is, is having just a designated spot where I know that my mat lives. Like even as I'm talking to you, my mat is in a spot right behind me where I know it's there. And Sometimes I'll just roll it out at night before I go to bed so that it's there for me in the morning. And there's something about seeing it where I'm like, okay, I can just get on it. Even if it's 20 minutes, even just a little bit. Cause a lot of times, like you were saying, you're, you're in a headspace, there's not enough time. And instead of having that pressure for me to get on it for an hour or an hour and a half, I'll just set a little timer for 20 minutes and see what happens. And then I just roll it up and keep going. And that's, you know, that's what I get for the day. Do you listen to music when you do a 20 minute? I do. That's a really great question. I personally love music. And as a former dancer, I feel like I need it in order to move. So yes, I will definitely put music on. I've just, I'll, I'll have it on. Um, it's usually something pretty mellow. I have to say, I'm not, I'm not listening to some of the more fun tunes that I think I would play in my classes, but I pretty much put like something mellow. I think it's because for me, it's just about getting my brain to settle. And if there's too much stimulation, my mind will kind of spin into that monkey mind hurricane kind of thing. Um, so yes, I will put music on. And then for me, it kind of becomes a dance. So it's almost like putting music on and dancing in your room, but I'm on my mat. So that's kind of what happens. Um, okay. I, I want to go a couple different directions. So we'll start here. <laughs> okay. So you just moved in with your boyfriend, which I know from the news on social media. <laughs> yes, um, I did. And I know for me, when I first moved in with my now husband, my practice kind of went out the window. Like I, I don't know, I was like laying in bed till like I had to go teach the second before and, and stuff like that. So have yeah. you, one, have you found it difficult? And two, what have you been doing to like keep on practicing? <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, first I have to acknowledge that I totally feel you and hear what you just said about staying in bed until the last minute when you have to go teach because I actually just did that a couple of days ago. Yes. It's so challenging. I think when suddenly you're cohabitating with another human who has different habits than you and it can throw off the rhythm. So even just a few months ago, living by myself, let's say I, my alarm would go off in the morning and I would know exactly what I wanted to do, whether it was, um, you know, go for a bike ride or get on my mat or something. I'm, I'm really good at practicing in the morning. That's what I like to do is just set up my day. And even if it was do some pranayama breathing and, or meditate, whatever it might be, I had that routine going and there wasn't somebody else to contend with or even to negotiate with for the bathroom. So (laughs) it was just a very, as you know, a very natural thing to just kind of get up and, and go. What I think is difficult is I would say recognizing that you do have a different energy than the other person. And that's beautiful. And that negotiation of, for instance, if I were to do a practice, it's in a very open space. It's not in a closed room. So it's definitely going to affect him hearing my partner, hearing what I'm doing. The good news is he loves to work out in the morning. So a lot of times it'll be, he goes to the gym and does what he needs to do, which is outside of our home. I am practicing on my mat and we're good, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes we're waking up and rushing to go somewhere or it's a weekend and we want to have plans or I have to teach. So there's less time for that sort of personal practice to happen before we're kind of going off. Um, And I think the second part of your question was, what are some of the things that I'm doing to maybe overcome some of those challenges? I have to just admit I'm super like Virgo organized. So for anyone listening who is also a big Virgo and has these tendencies, I like to schedule everything. And for me, it's about knowing what's coming ahead. And if a lot of times for me, if I don't have it scheduled, it won't happen. So I find it really helpful to even schedule my home practices in in the same way that I will schedule a meeting or um, schedule when I'm going to teach. I will actually put in my calendar (laughs) that I have an hour, whether it says me time or it just says yoga, whatever it says, I'll actually put it in my calendar. And then I get these little alerts that tell me, Hey, this is going to be your time. And there's something about that that just helps me. I think it's almost permissive if if you know what I mean. I have that permission to now make that time mine. And then I also can tell my partner, hey, I'm going to go practice in the morning. So just so you know, I'm going to be here. So we've actually done a really great job of, of being able to negotiate that space. So we're doing great so far. <laughs> oh, good. That's awesome. Yeah. I love the idea of scheduling things in too. Um, do you do like a Sunday night schedule or do you like have a monthly schedule? Because I'm, you know, some people are type A, I'm type B. <laughs> so I'm just like, I don't know how you do it. It's <laughs> so funny. I don't think I ever knew that in the, all the time I've known you. So I'm super type A. Let's just be really clear about that. Um, you know, I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm not saying though that that's the only way because I don't I don't want to say that like you know scheduling is the only way to go but I will yes I will give you a little insight so and I and I actually give this to my nutrition clients as well so on Sundays I like to plan pretty much anything I actually have 2 hours this is not <laughs> this is funny I'm thinking about this as we're talking I actually have 2 hours on Sunday between 4 and 6 that literally just says plan 
And it's one of those things where I plan out my week, just making sure that my schedule has all the meetings or all the places that I'm going to go or all the appointments, whatever it is. But I also need to plan my food for the week as well. And we try to have a regularity with when we go grocery shopping. So it kind of turns into a plan of all the things. So yes, I will definitely try if it's not Sunday night at some point to plan out when I want to get to my mat, when I want to get on my bike. And what happens really naturally is that I won't start seeing clients until say about noon. So what it does is it gives me an opportunity in the morning to put whether I'm going to do a yoga practice, let's say with somebody online or whether I'm going to do it by myself or whether I'm going to go for a bike ride or whether I'm going to go for a walk, whatever I need to do to get me in the right headspace, which I consider all to be the yoga, it kind of all happens somewhere in that morning. But I can't tell you how many times I'll wake up and just be like, Mm, no, <laughs> like I don't want to. And then I start rearranging stuff. So let's just be really transparent. It doesn't always stick that way, but I do really like that planning idea. Cause at least it gets me in my headspace of this is my time. This is what I, this is what I intend to do, whether I stick to it or not is a whole other conversation, but yeah, it starts out that way. And when you have like a, um, when you have a block on your calendar that says yoga, do you have certain parameters? You're like, I, I know I need to do Surya Namaskar or I know I want to work on this or do you just kind of let it roll? That's a great question. So I think I might've mentioned this before, but I do prefer being in a class. I think what's been hard for me as a teacher in the past decade is that it's hard for me to get out of my own head and just drop into my body sometimes and let it flow I would much rather not think about what it is that I'm doing and have someone lead me. So I've always been more comforted by the idea of having someone else teach me, but that doesn't always happen. So it kind of varies on the days where I do get on my mat. I think, again, I'm so Virgo and I'm so structured. (laughs) I think it also comes from having been a dancer where you go to a dance class and there's a very structured series, almost like the Ashtanga series in yoga, where you start with certain things. It's kind of a warm up that leads into getting on, you know, off the bar onto the floor. So my body wants to warm up. So I'm always on the ground. That's always where I start. And there's, there's a slow kind of puttering sensation that will happen, a warm up that happens and just like a juiciness that I need to bring in to my body, particularly because I spend more time sitting than I think I've ever spent in my life, especially the last year and a half. So there's a lot of hip opening and a lot of heart opening that will happen somewhere close to the ground. And then I definitely get up and like to um, remove the structure so much of Surya Namaskar and let it just kind of create, but it does move from the ground up. So there's just this this natural tendency for me to practice the way that I teach, which moves through the chakras. So I kind of start on the ground, make my way up and towards standing postures. There's a little more of a flowiness to it and then twist and get myself back down to the ground, find back bends and forward bends and such. So there's kind of that sort of a bell curve, if you will, an arc of what happens. What's interesting is that I will get through it so much faster than if I were say actually teaching a class. There's something about just being on my mat and starting to move that I'll suddenly feel like I've been doing it for a long time. And I'll look and I'll be like, wow, that was barely 30 minutes. And I just like got myself moving. So 
it just kind of varies again. If I have the time, um, sometimes I'll put on a really long song that is great for Shavasana and I'll just let it play. And that goes back to your question about music. I think I need music to guide me. So I will give myself permission a lot of times to do a long Shavasana or even yin postures. Um, I like using songs to tell me when to get out versus thinking about I have to get out or having an alarm go off. So um, I have these great songs that are say five to seven minutes long and I'll just let them go and give myself that permission to be, to be in, in those postures. But if I'm, if it's the morning, I'm definitely moving at nighttime. Sometimes it's just, I got to get on my bolster and drop in to like two yin postures before I go to bed, just to like get all the, the angst out and the, the mind stuff to settle. Yeah. Oh, I love the idea of using music instead of a timer because a timer can be jarring. Like even if it's a nice sound, I'm like, oh, it's over. <laughs> At least with a song, you can yeah. feel it coming. Yeah. That's really interesting. I have this, um, I, mean, I have this great timer that actually is a uh, bells. Um, and it's, it's not as jarring as you think, but I agree with you. I think sometimes you hear it and you're, you know, it kind of jolted out of, out of whatever it is that you're doing. Um, but yeah, I think it's important just for my own, like my senses not to be um, so overwhelmed. And I, I just, I love, I just love listening to songs. I find them soothing. Someone singing to me, it feels a little bit like a lullaby, I think. <laughs> you have mentioned being a dancer and I knew that about you. So, um, and I, I read in your bio that you found yoga during dance. Can you talk a little mm. bit about finding yoga while you were a dancer? Yeah. So I lived in New York uh, from 2001 until 2014. And Unfortunately, I was new to the city right when September 11th happened. So I had sort of a twofold path to finding yoga. One was I was very young and very anxious living in a new city that was very um, big and aggressive and, and very hard to survive in while we were going through this collective tragedy. So I was there with the intent of dancing professionally and the industry had basically died. I, I ended up dancing on Broadway for many, many years, but at the time, as you can imagine, there wasn't anything going on. Producers had pulled out. So I was really scared. And I remember being very anxious and I was, I was bartending um, to make extra money. And I had a friend who said to me, you know, you would probably really like yoga because you dance and you move and you, you know, love that. Um, that way of treating your body. And she's like, you're so anxious. I bet you would find relief from the anxiety if you tried this video. So she actually gave me a yoga DVD, um, which is hilarious to think back to how I was practicing because I don't even think I have a DVD player to play these old videos. But I remember I ended up going on, um, on tour with a show not long after that. And I took the video with me and I would just, I would practice it for two reasons. One, because it was so grueling to be on the road doing eight shows a week. And we were flying from city to city on our day off. And I was actually doing the show Cats at the time. And if you know the show, it's very grueling on your body. So I wanted something that was not dance that could also keep me healing and, and stay injury-free, if you will. So that was the main goal. But what ended up happening that was so beautiful is that I got pulled into the spiritual aspects of the practice, the meditative aspects of it. And my anxiety really started to, to lessen. And it was so high. I would call it chronic. It was just like every day there was just this, this sort of panic that would set in. And 
by the time I got back from being on the road, I found a studio that I actually subsequently ended up getting my 200 hour training at and then teaching at. And so it was, it was for those reasons. It was wanting to have an expression and a way to move, particularly when I wasn't working um, between shows where I could just express myself on the mat. And what I loved was there was no requirement, no judgment. Nobody was correcting me, let's say, as if I was on stage. You know, you have to be corrected. You have to be told where to go. You have to be within the confines of whatever you're doing, you know, professionally. But on the mat, I could do whatever my body wanted to do. And I also felt that it was so deeply connected to my spirit that it just kind of pulled me into that state of feeling that movement was um, was a liberation from the pain I was feeling. So that was kind of the pathway in, and then it just kind of stuck. I was like, "This is this is what I love," and I um, I kept performing and I kept practicing, and it actually really helped me. A couple times I got injured, I just kept going right back to my mat and relearning what I needed to do. Um, even just getting on my hands and knees after a shoulder injury and relearning how to do cat cow was just profound for me. So it kind of got me into loving the practice and all the things physically as well as, as spiritually. That's, that's so interesting. It really strikes me that you were, uh, had chronic anxiety and also chose for your occupation to be a dancer. <laughs> Yeah, totally. What an ironic. I mean, I know it's like because you love dance, but it's just such a funny because uh, I'm also I tend toward the anxiety side. I'm like work, you know, working on it always. But like the idea of getting in front of people with is like I couldn't. Um, so it's just so it's just so interesting to love dance so much that you're like, no, it's worth it. <laughs> well, you know, I think I think yeah, this this could like open us up to a whole other kind of podcast. But I, I will say that you know most artists will experience some type of anxiety, some type of, um, you know, connection to that part of us where fear comes up. And, and, and it is, you know, I also, um, and I ended up singing and of course playing roles too. So I couldn't hide behind the movement all the time. It was like, as soon as I had to open my mouth, I was like, oh my goodness. And what I found so interesting about what you just said is that so many people that I worked with also suffered from that as well and found that that the artistry, the performing artistry was this sort of vessel to move through that, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I always found so interesting. And then it, it actually comes, it's coming back so, te- you know, so much, I think, because of what's happening in the world now, I'm recognizing how yoga helped keep that so balanced for me. I mean, I could easily have, just lived in my anxiety throughout my career and just kind of been like, okay, for the hours that I'm on stage, I'm fine. And then when I get, it's actually when you're off stage that for me, that it was, that was so profound. And I think that comes from relying on the external, which is needing the approval of the audience or needing the approval of whoever's hiring you or needing just the approval of the industry versus what I feel with yoga is that all kind of goes away, right? So it's like the anxiety that comes from needing something in the external world. I think the um, the practice was really helpful for me recognizing that what I was missing was enjoying the, the inner stuff, <laughs> getting into my self-love and not relying on it being about um, what I was doing with my with my body or in my career, if that makes sense, you know? 
connecting more deeply to that self-love so that I could let some of that calm down and the fear of whatever it was. I think it was a fear of annihilation and a, a true fear of death that got me to the yoga mat initially with living in New York. But now I think it's just, you know, little things like the fear of um, not being able to provide for, you know, for yourself or your family or the fear of losing your relationship or the fear of the world exploding or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, somehow the two, it's so interesting that the two were so related to me, but also like one healed the other. Mm, I love that. Um, so speaking of that, of, of going, having yoga um, heal, can we talk a little bit about your yoga practice and how it helped you during your divorce? Yes, yes, yes. So I was married for three years and had moved to San Francisco from New York City about two days after I got married and went right into teaching yoga. And I was teaching so much and practicing so much that I feel I was almost ignoring what was going on with me in my personal life, in my marriage, and, and subsequently was realizing that my my previous partner and I were no longer a match. And it was so painful that I remember I would come to my mat and I would I would literally find myself crying in a forward fold. Like there was just something happening to me. Something was kind of coming up for me that I wasn't really facing. So it was, um, I think the spring of 2018 that we actually separated and I moved out into my own place. And so I was still in San Francisco. And for the very first time, I was on my own in San Francisco. So it was very, um, it was very jarring, I guess I would say, to be kind of single in a city that wasn't a place that I had moved to single. It was different for me in New York because I had moved on my own and I understood the city. But here I was and I didn't really know who I was. And I guess I would say it was my saving grace. I don't know any other way to put it, but having a community in the yoga space, having a studio that felt like home. And I actually had um, three places that I was teaching at and I was so close with the other teachers and I was so close to a lot of the students that I felt that I could just be there and that I had a place to be. I found myself taking class or teaching class and kind of sticking around after, you know, where you just kind of find a couch to sit on and you start talking to everyone. And there was something really comforting. And I found that people would ask me how I was doing. And because let's say I had just practiced, I was able to be so open and transparent and say, I'm not great. And it was probably the first time in my life that I ever admitted that because you know we have this way of being where we'll say hey how are you and someone says great how are you and you're like great and then you kind of move on but I was so deeply sad and in pain that I and, and so open from being in the yogic space that I would just start telling people I'm not okay and truth being I'm going through a divorce and um it was so interesting because it opened up a lot of relationships for me within the yoga community and it allowed me to really just express myself so that if I was say on the mat and I was having a great moment and I felt joy, it was okay to feel joy. And if I was on the mat and I found myself with tears coming out of my eyes, it was okay. So it felt like a really permissive space. And I think it also helped me as a teacher start to really connect more and understand more 
that anyone who was coming to the practice was also likely to be going through something. And I started calling it just this shared human experience and reminding students that every time you come to the mat, whoever you're sitting near, or if you're doing it virtually, or even if you're just on your mat at home, knowing that there are so many other people who are going through whatever it is you're going through, like the same dramas, the same pain, or the same celebration, the same joy, whatever it is. So it kind of eased that that healing process for me, not just physically, because I think I needed to work through a lot of the emotion that was kind of stuck. So it helped me move through it physically on the mat. But again, it was also just a place to kind of step into, okay, life can be really hard sometimes and it can be really painful and, and it's all right. And you can come to your mat and feel awful. And then that can absolutely shift within a matter of minutes and you can sit with it and move through it rather than run away from it. And I think that's what I had been doing prior was kind of running away from whatever was going on. And then it, it kind of forced me to move through. And what was so great is it, it, you know, it continues to happen. And, and now, you know, a lot of times if I speak to other people who go through breakup, divorce, or whatever it may be, I'm like, just, just get on your mat and sit with it and be with it. Cause it'll, it'll move through. So yeah, I found it to be profoundly healing. I love that. And I also find it so interesting when you said like you'd find yourself crying in a forward fold, like when you hadn't faced it yet. And, um, and you know, you wouldn't know why. And I, I feel like there's like two kinds of yoga I do. One is where I'm not paying attention at all. And I wouldn't actually call that yoga. Like it looks like yoga, (laughs) but like, that's not what I'm doing. Like I'm thinking about something else and I'm completely avoiding something I should be thinking about. But I have found that in a forward fold, it's very hard to avoid whatever it is. That's when it really comes. Like I can do, I can do warrior two and really not do yoga, but I feel like a forward fold, you really have to focus. Like it's so true. (laughs) Yes. That's so true. I, I totally relate to that because, you know, a lot of times, look, we come to the mat to move our bodies, right? We come to the mat to let some stuff out, to have some kind of somatic release. So even today I found myself practicing an arm balance and I wasn't thinking about, you know, my divinity or the depth of my, you know, my spirit or whatever it was. I was like, I want to nail this thing. And I want to figure out anatomically, like, what do I need to do with my hands and my shoulders and my legs and my hips and my breath? And that's a great place to be. And you're absolutely right. You can kind of ignore everything else when you're in those moments. And then, you know, absolutely. I agree. I think you could be in like a warrior and you could be thinking about where you need to go later. And I find that happens to me all the time. We're all mad at someone. I'm in a warrior too thinking about, I hate someone. It's oh, yeah. usually, usually I'm not in warrior two. I'm usually in warrior three and I hate everything about everything. I'm like, why, why am I doing this posture? I hate this. Yes. I'm so mad at my, you know, whatever. Um, but yes, I agree with you. I clearly, you know, forward folds, I mean, we're so vulnerable. We're so, you know, it's the back of your heart. It's, you're exposed. You're also so quiet. And what I think is interesting is just all the the stuff that can come up in your mind. I mean, it's really hard to be mad at somebody when you're in a forward fold. Yes. But I also think that it's also, like you mentioned, it's hard to kind of run away when you're when you're in those moments. And, and what, what I find so profound is that sometimes just not thinking and feeling 
is when that stuff will kind of move and come out. And that's when I'm like, oh, okay, this is what yoga is, mm-hmm. right? Just kind of the surrender of, I don't know what it is that I'm hiding from or what I might have to deal with, but it's coming up, it's coming out and I'm going to roll with it. And that's usually why I find myself <laughs> crying and, and like, you know, seated forward, fold or pigeon. Oh, pigeon is like the pose to cry in if you need to cry right? Just like all the stuff that all the emotion in your hips that just releases. Yeah. yeah, We've all had a good crying pigeon. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe just on our way to pigeon. I don't know. (laughs) Um, I was interested in your bio that you, you talked about how your yoga practice was kind of an intro into your interest in nutrition. I just wondered like, how'd that happen? (laughs) Yeah. So, well, now you all know how, like how I got to yoga. So interestingly, this ties back to what I was doing in my performing career. So there is a, a requirement to be very fit in your body. And, and particularly for me, I was finding it very challenging to, um, to understand what foods might affect me. So again, back to like the anxiety. So I was waking up in the mornings and I was not feeling well. I was feeling nauseous, really tired. A lot of times I'd have a a headache or a a, a sort of a fogginess to me. And then I started having some really, um, really tough digestive issues. And it was mostly in the mornings. And I would talk to people about it, whether it was friends, colleagues, or even doctors. And they would literally send me home being like, you're just anxious because you live in New York city and you have just this really high paced career. So you're probably just nervous and anxious all the time. And I was like, "Mm, I don't really know that that's what's okay for me to, this has been going on at this point for probably 10 years. So it was kind of an experiment that happened by accident. I was seeing a chiropractor very regularly um, to kind of help me with, with some of my injuries and things that I was trying to kind of contend with. And he also happened to have his degree in holistic nutrition. And so he had this elimination diet that he um, would offer to people. It was a 14-day program that sort of eliminated foods that would be considered common toxins. And then you slowly got your way into um, drinking these meal replacement shakes and doing a lot of supplementation to get your liver clear. And then you would bring the foods back in slowly and kind of see how your body responded. And what I didn't know is that I actually had an allergy to gluten and my father's celiac and he had found that out, but I didn't know it was genetic. So all these kind of light bulbs went off for me where I was, where I realized, oh my goodness, if I would just take gluten out of my diet, all of these problems would go away. And that's instantly what happened. So, um, I realized that I have something, it's so fancy to call it this. It's called non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which means that my body isn't actually um, at the point where they diagnose you as a full celiac. But if I were to continue to eat gluten, that's what would happen. Mm. So as soon as I got rid of that, and I realized some other foods that my body kind of looked at as trigger foods, I had this profound shift in my health where suddenly I would stop waking up in the morning and having digestive problems. The foggy, that, that fogginess cleared and I dropped something like eight to 10 pounds that I didn't even know I had to lose, which on a very petite dancer's body was a lot. And it it was very noticeable for me. And I had so much more energy. So it got me really curious. And I started thinking, 
I need to know more. I need to understand this, not just for myself, but I want to understand it for people in my personal life, my family, my friends, all that. So essentially I ended up going to graduate school. And so I got my master's in in holistic nutrition because of this mentor. And he even told me, go the holistic route because you'll like it better knowing me and knowing that I had this curiosity about, you know, different people as individuals and what, um, what affected them. So essentially I, I just kind of like stepped wholly into, into that lifestyle. And it crosses over so much with my yoga practice where it, it feels to me like there's, there's such an overlap that between yoga and mindfulness and what we put into our body because it all affects us profoundly in the same way. So it just kind of interconnected naturally and then became my life's work and passion when I, when I left Broadway. So that's kind of how it happened. And that's so interesting because yoga is this, um, this science of awareness and then nutrition in a way, I mean, especially with an eliminated elimination diet, it's also awareness, right? Like noticing how you feel when you eat certain foods. Um, Do you think that part of your anxiety was a symptom of gluten allergy? Like I've heard that sometimes you can have an emotional reaction to foods that you're sensitive to. A hundred percent. In fact, what you just said is exactly where I work from, which is this idea that there's the interconnectedness between what's happening for us physically and emotionally. So if you look at yoga through the lens of the chakra system, it's this idea that we have subtle body energy that connects to the emotions, connects to the organs, and connects to physically how we experience our life. And so undoubtedly there's that same connection between our, the food that we put in, how it absorbs or how it digests and eliminates and how that connects to the emotional body, because it goes through the same channel. So if you actually think about, you know, the, the digestive system sitting in the third chakra and this fire of transformation, if it's not working properly, then everything above and below is kind of thrown off. So yes, a hundred percent symptoms of anxiety and depression, um, all kinds of mental health issues, particularly, um, are attached to certain foods. So one of the things that, um, I worked with, especially through school was looking at each system of the body and how food interacts. So for instance, you can look at, uh, the, the brain and how foods affect the way that the nervous system works, particularly the brain, but then also the nerves. And so when you're looking at something like you said, anxiety, there is an absolute connection between the two. So I do agree that not only was the the chronic anxiety coming from, because it came before I ended up in New York city and living through nine 11. So I think it was, it was partly, um, not necessarily having this, the toolbox yet, that I got from yoga to understand what to do when I was triggered into a state of anxiety. I also think it was the foods that I was exposed to just, you know, I ate so much bread as a kid. It's crazy. And I have no idea going back that I shouldn't have been eating that. Um, And then, and then as my body adjusted to bringing in foods that were more supportive, 100% that anxiety started to go away. So it's, it's, it's absolutely connected. So that there's, there's so many beautiful, uh, ways that yoga and and the holistic practice, whether it's food or 
even just thinking of what you expose your body to and what you take in, um, that all can affect your, your mental and emotional state. So yeah, they're totally connected. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah, it's definitely all connected for sure. <laughs> Um, but it has been so wonderful talking to you and I know people are going to want to maybe work with you and learn more about you. So where can we find you? Thank you. It's been so great to chat with you as well. You can find me uh, two ways. One would be my website, which is robinwilner.com and everything that you need to know is there. The other is you can find me on Instagram. My handle is robin.wilner and I'm always happy to um, interact on my DMs. You can send me a message or you can shoot me an email to my website. Awesome. Thanks again, Robin. Thanks, Rebecca. It was great talking to you. I know you enjoyed that interview with Robin. She is just so shiny and fun to talk to. Um, I know I had fun talking to her. Uh, and yeah, if you're looking for a nutritionist, I really do recommend her. She has this way of explaining things simply and really helping people to find the way to eat and the way to move and the way to be so that they feel their best. And it's always good to have a little support if that's something you're looking for. Um, also her yoga classes are really great. You can really tell she's an ex dancer with this like kind of eye to, of like movement and fluidity and also a really good attention to detail and alignment. So I really recommend that too. You can find all of her info about her classes and her nutrition stuff at robinwilner.com. And it has been great guys. Um, I am really getting together, like really getting organized for the fall season of homebodies. And we have a lot of really good guests coming up. We have a Kundalini instructor. We have a prenatal yoga instructor. We have a, just a very devoted yogi who works in nonprofit work. Uh, just like some really fun, good guests coming up. So I hope you keep listening. And again, like, and follow and review and write to me and Instagram me and write me a letter if you want. Email me, Rebecca at homebodies.com. I'm not going to put my address on here because that seems unsafe. But if you email me and you seem cool, I'll give you my home address and you can write me snail mail. Why not? Anyway, happy practicing and have a great week. <laughs>